Hey, welcome City First. I want to say a big shout out to Cape Coral, Southwest Florida. How are you guys doing today? Also, everyone at God Behind Bars, as well as right here at the Spring Creek and the State Line locations, and everybody watching online today, I hope that you are having an amazing day, and thank you for being a part of City First. It's great to have you. We say this all the time, that we are not just a friendly church, but we're a family church, and everyone is welcome, that you come just the way that you are, but God loves you enough to not keep you the way that you are. In fact, he wants to change each and every one of us to be more like him and for the better. And I believe it's all in my heart that he wants to change each and every one of us today. Even as we are joining together for this service, as we're listening to this message, I want you to be listening to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you specifically. And for those of you that are here at our Spring Creek location, we are excited to finally have you back in person and in the house. It's been over 200 days since we were able to gather in person here in the state line area. And you know what? We are just ecstatic to see each and every one of you. And you know, we say this all the time. We say that we are better together. And you know what? Right now, Spring Creek, State Line, and Cape, we are better together. Cape, you've been gathering now for three months, and we were so jealous and so excited for you, but now we get to join you in gathering together. Now, I don't know about you, but how many of you have heard that there is a presidential election happening sometime in the next month, huh? Yeah, right? All of us know this. How could we escape not knowing this? It's everywhere. People are talking about it online. It's in the news. It is in our grills 24-7. Now, I want to say this before we jump into today's message. As your pastor, I want to encourage you to vote. We live in a nation where we have the ability to vote for our leaders, to vote not only for our national leaders, but our state leaders and our local leaders. This is a huge privilege and something that we should not take for granted. In fact, there are literally billions of people around the world that do not have this privilege like we have in America. So at City First, we encourage everyone to vote and to vote with convictions based upon the Word of God. I get asked all the time, people are like, who should I vote for? And I always say this, you vote for the candidates that are most in line with your faith beliefs. So we have the privilege of doing that this November. And you know, in the spirit of this upcoming election, we are launching a brand new series today that we are calling Jesus for the People. Jesus for the People. Now, here's the truth. That Jesus doesn't have to be voted in because he's already king. That you know what, his rule is not democratic. It is not based upon an electoral college or a majority vote. That he is the king of kings and the lord of lords, and he holds all the power and authority in his hands. In fact, he holds the power of life and death in his hands. He is the supreme authority over the entire universe. And I say this with all honesty and truth. He is a good king. You know what? He is the king 
that was willing to be the perfect representative of you and I to walk to a cross and die for our sins, to pay the penalty for our shortcomings and our disobedience. And so today, I want to announce this, that Jesus is for the people. Jesus is for you. And today, I want to talk about Jesus is for the frustrated. Over the next few weeks, as we lead up to a national election, I want to talk about what Jesus is for. And today, I want to talk about Jesus is for people that are frustrated. How many of you, whether you are in an auditorium or watching online right now, by upraised hand, you would say 2020 has been a frustrating year? I mean, right? Amen. Both hands are up on that one, right? It has been overwhelming. It has been exhausting. I mean, you look at it right now, everybody in our world is experiencing some frustration to some degree because of the COVID crisis and all of the different ramifications it has had. Now, if you are frustrated, I want you to know that Jesus is for you. And I'm going to tell a story today about Jesus and someone who was extremely frustrated for a good reason. That Jesus was talking to this woman that was living in the midst of frustration. And this story is found in the book of John. And some of you may have heard this story before, but let's go ahead real quickly. And in your Bible apps or on your City First Church app, or you might have a physical Bible, turn open to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. If you don't have it, it's okay. It's on the screen as I read. And this is a story about Jesus and the Samaritan woman. It says this, starting in verse 1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Now, let me stop here. This is John the Baptist that he's talking about, the author's talking about. And so Jesus is at the beginning of his ministry. And he's starting to gather his disciples and he's baptizing people and word starts traveling to the Pharisees and the Pharisees don't like Jesus. In fact, they think he's a hypocrite. They think that he lies about being the son of God. That he's having too much influence. And so here it says, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. What is Jesus doing here? Well, he's getting out of that region because there are people that are getting concerned about his influence. And so he and his disciples decide to relocate. He had to go through Samaria on the way, the Bible says. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The, the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And we're going to talk about that in a moment because Jesus was a Jew. And so this woman is very surprised by this interaction. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? 
Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. She's thinking Jesus is talking literally here. She said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It will become a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Now, that's very interesting she said that. I won't have to come here again. In other words, I don't want to come back to this well. I'll explain that in a moment. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. You have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Things just got a little complex, you could say. You know, when you read the story in 2020, 2,000 years later, we do not realize the complexity of what is really going on here. So for the next few moments, allow me to try to explain and color in the lines a little bit of what is happening contextually in this story. First, the fact that Jesus decided to go through Samaria was a very big deal. Jews did not like Samaritans, and Samaritans did not like Jews. In fact, when you would be traveling from the north to the south or the south to the north, right in the middle was Samaria. If you were a Jewish person, you would literally walk out of your way many, many, many miles to go around so you didn't have to go through that part or that region of the land. Why? Because you didn't like the people that lived there, and they didn't like you. You see, Samaritans had about 700 years previous to this story of Jesus and this woman talking, the Samaritans had intermarried with people who were not Jewish. In fact, some Assyrians had invaded the northern kingdom of Israel. Most Jews evacuated the space, but some Jews stayed back, and the ones that stayed back ended up marrying the Assyrians. And so therefore, the true-blooded Jews considered the Samaritans half-breeds or a mixed race. What is really happening here is racial tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. And you know what Jesus does? He walks right into the middle of it. He is not timid. He is not shy. He goes against cultural norms, against the grain, and walks right into the middle of the Samaritans and starts having a conversation with this woman. Secondly, it's noon. No one draws water from the well at noon. And here's the reason why. It is blazing hot at noon. 
If you were going to gather water, if you lived in the Samaritan village, you would go outside the village to this well, and you would do it early in the morning, or you would do it around dusk, because the temperature was bearable. So here is this woman, and she is coming there at noon, the hottest time of the day when no one was going to be around. The third thing is this, the very fact that Jesus, a rabbi, would speak to the woman was very abnormal. In fact, rabbis many times would not speak directly to women. And you got to understand that in Jesus' day, this was a very patriarchal society. It would have been very abnormal for a Jewish man, let alone a rabbi, to speak to a woman. In fact, later on in verse 27, we see that the disciples are amazed that this whole interaction is taking place. It says, just then his disciples came back, and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. I mean, right there. They came back, and they're like, what is Jesus doing talking to a woman, let alone a Samaritan? But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? So they whispered amongst themselves. They're like, Jesus is talking to this woman. Again, it's very abnormal. Jesus is once again blowing off cultural taboos. And Jesus starts talking to her about living water. About the fact that he has a water that he could give her that makes her never thirst again. She is super confused by this. In fact, at first, she takes him literally. And then, after a while, she gets a little snarky. If you notice in her tone, she starts talking. Well, what makes you think that the water that you could give is better than this water that our ancestors gave us? And and she starts having a little bit of an edge to her tone. But she is asking, eventually, for this living water. And why? She doesn't want to come back to the well again. So here's a question. Why does she not want to come back to this well again? I mean, is this more than just the fact she doesn't want to do chores? Now, I don't know about you, but maybe when you've thought about going to a store or some place, you have timed it so that you have the best chance to not run into somebody that you know. Have you ever done that before? Like, Jen does most of the grocery shopping in the DeWert family. But every once in a while, when I have to go to the grocery store, I'm usually going when I know it's not going to be crowded. I know that I'm going to be able to get in and out. I'm going to be able to buy whatever it is that I need. And, you know, a lot of times when I go to the grocery store, I notice that there are people walking around and they have hats on and and the bill of their hat is really low and they have earbuds in and some of them are even wearing sunglasses and they're just, they're all business. No social, it's all business. It's like they're saying, don't bother me. I'm here to get my groceries, and I want to get out of here. Now, some of you that do grocery shopping, some of you go to places like that, you know exactly what I'm talking about, because you're the ones that have put in the earbuds and put on the hats, and you just want to get in there, do your business, and get out. Well, this Samaritan woman, she is getting water at the hottest time of the day when no one else would get water normally. Why? Well, we can assume She doesn't want to run into people. She doesn't want to see specific individuals. But yet, she meets Jesus at this well. And she's very interested in this living water that doesn't run out because that solves this whole problem of going to the well 
when it's hot. She's saying, I don't want to come back here again. I want to be able to have water that I never become thirsty. And guess what? I don't have to come back here in the middle of the midday when I'm sweaty and it's hot. Instead, I can just stay at home. It's almost like having Instacart. Deliver your groceries to you, right? Well, why is she so concerned about running into people? We have to ask these questions. So Jesus asks a random question to her after she says, I want living water. And, and by the way, when Jesus asks a question, he already knows the answer, just so you know that. He's God, right? So what does he ask? He says this, why don't you go get your husband and come back here and we'll talk about this whole living water thing. And she answers by saying, mm, I don't really have a husband. Now she didn't lie, but she didn't tell all the truth either. She didn't want to get into the messy details of the fact that guess what? She's had quite a relational experience, right? Jesus knowing everything about her because he was God says, you're right. You don't have a husband, you've had five, and you're shacking up with somebody right now that you're not even married to. Talk about relational drama. I mean, some of you, you've had relational drama, but after I'm telling this story, you're feeling kind of good about yourself, right? I mean, this lady had five marriages and now is in a sixth relationship. She is hurt, she is frustrated, she is marginalized. Now I know when I say that you're thinking, well, actually she's made a lot of wrong choices. Well, at first glance, many of us reading this story have interpreted that this Samaritan woman was a relational nightmare and a chronic divorcee. In other words, we think to ourselves, just assuming that she probably was married to one guy and then she went out and maybe had an affair with another guy and so got divorced and shacked up with that other guy, became married, and then who knows, maybe had an affair on him. And, you know, we kind of have this narrative about her that she's probably an adulteress, that she probably is a relational, you know, catastrophe, that, that she has all these issues, right? But I want you to listen very closely for the next few moments because I'm going to reframe her according to what probably historically is true, and some of you are going to learn about her in a way that you've never learned before about this woman. You see, in the culture of that day, the only way a woman could get out of a marriage was that your husband had to die or divorce you. Now, you heard me right. As a woman, you couldn't get out of a marriage in Jesus's day unless your husband died or divorces you. You didn't have a say in it. He had to divorce you or he had to pass away. And that was your way out of a marriage. And also in Jesus's day, if you were to commit adultery, you were legally able to be executed. In other words, that if you were a woman and you decided that you were gonna go have an adulterous affair with somebody else, that legally your husband could have you killed as well as the person that you committed adultery with. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about it, that in this day and age, we don't understand that, but in Jesus's day, you committed adultery, 
you were dead. So this woman is still alive. In, in, in fact, because she's still alive, most likely she didn't commit adultery with those five other relationships. Otherwise, her husbands, or at least one of them, would have most likely had her killed. Also, the chances that she had five husbands die is very slim also. I mean, unless she is the black widow or something like that. I mean, her five husbands most likely did not pass away. So what does that mean? Well, most likely her previous husbands divorced her, which is why she would then go into another marriage and another marriage after that and another marriage after that. Because, listen closely, in that day, if you were a woman and you could not produce children, you had very little value, and many times your husband would divorce you. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. Most likely, chances are that this Samaritan woman was infertile. In other words, she couldn't have kids. And on top of that, on top of that, she probably was a very pretty, beautiful woman because guys kept on wanting to marry her. You see, a woman in that day, your identity and your value was tied to having and raising kids. The more kids, the better. So as we read in between the lines of this story, into the context of that culture, we understand that most likely this Samaritan woman was unable to have children, and so she was rejected by guy after guy after guy. And on top of that, she was marginalized as a Samaritan. She was already a part of a group of people that were looked down upon because of their race. And on top of that, she's at noon drawing water. Why? She doesn't want to be seen. She knows that everybody in the village already knows her story. Then when she would walk the streets, they would go, oh yeah, there's that woman right there. That woman who has had five husbands, who, who most likely can't have kids, and people would talk about her and look down on her. And finally, in her frustration and in her hurt and in her confusion about things that she had no control over, she decides, well, I'm shacking up with this sixth guy, and I'm done with this whole marriage thing. I've been to the courthouse one too many times. Forget marriage. Forget commitment. I'm just going to live with this guy. Been there, done that, ain't going back. You see, talk about trust issues. Talk about rejection. Talk about disappointment. I'm telling you, this lady is the embodiment of frustration about her life, about her circumstances. Now, make no mistake, Jesus never does anything randomly or by mistake. Do you think Jesus just flippantly decided to take his disciples through the Samaritan region that most Jewish people would walk around it? Do you think that was just random? Do you think that Jesus just 
randomly decided to go to this well at noon when nobody goes to the well, but this lady would show up every day to come get water? Do you think that Jesus just arbitrarily asked this woman about her husband? I mean, that question came out of left field if you think about it. No way. No way. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing because he was God. He knew this woman's story. He knew the hurt and the frustration that she was carrying. And so he strategically walks through Samaria. He strategically is there at noon when this woman shows up to the well. He strategically asks a question about her husband. Why? Listen, it's because Jesus is for the frustrated. Jesus wants to help. He understood this woman's frustration. This woman is frustrated with life. She's frustrated with others. She doesn't trust anybody. She is just done with it. But yet Jesus, Jesus has a way of finding us in the middle of our frustration and our confusion, doesn't he? I mean, just like the Samaritan woman, Jesus finds you and me in the middle of frustrating moments and situations. And at that point, we have the choice to do like the Samaritan woman did, the choice to trust him or not. The choice to trust whether he has something to give us or not. You see, this woman could have blown Jesus off. She could have thought to herself, oh, here's another guy. I have trust issues with guys to begin with. And here's this guy who starts asking me about water and how he has something to offer me. And guess what? She could have just said, forget it. I'm blowing you off. She had every right to do that if you think about it. But instead, she leans in and asks, please, sir, give me this water then I'll never be thirsty again. See, she had to trust, and she had to ask, and she had to put down her guard. And I'll tell you, City First, whether you are a female or a male, whether you are young or old or anywhere in between, you will have to do the same exact thing if you want Jesus to help you in the midst of your frustration. You have to trust him. You're going to have to ask for help and put down your pride. And you're going to have to believe that he has something to offer you. Even when you're frustrated, even in the midst of the confusion, you have to trust him. Because here's what I know. When you're frustrated or confused, your natural reaction is like mine, to put up a defense mechanism and push people away, especially people that have hurt you, right? Let me ask you this question. What do you do when you're frustrated? How do you react to that? Do you get angry? Do you pull away from others? Do you sulk? Do you complain? Do you stuff your feelings? Do you become depressed? You see, we could all learn from the Samaritan woman who had her fair share of disappointing experiences. She willingly admitted her need for something that would truly refresh her from the inside out. She decided in her desperation and in her frustration to lay down her guard, to put down her walls and to say, I want to reach out to the one who has reached out to me. 
See, here's a key. We have to be honest with the one who already knows everything about you. Sometimes we try to hide from God. We have, we have this hiding syndrome that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden that the minute that sin entered into the lives of Adam and Eve, what did they do? They hid from God. Well, we're still hiding thousands of years later. We think that God doesn't know everything, but he knows everything. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what's in your mind. He knows what's in your past he knows everything about you. And listen to me, City First. And he loves you just the same. And he loves you enough to change you so you're not living in the midst of the frustration and the chaos. But we got to be willingly able to admit our need and to put down our pride and our defensiveness and our hurt and our pain and to basically come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need your living water because I'm thirsty for something different than what I have right now. When we do that, God begins to move. He begins to change us. He begins to rearrange us. He begins to work inside of us. He begins to help that frustration and pain and bitterness to begin to melt away. We go on a journey of becoming whole. See, God wants us to be whole. He wants us to not walk around with the baggage and the garbage of past decisions either we've made or that have been made that have influenced us. So what happens next? Well, Jesus tells her that he's the Messiah. And he says, I know everything about you and I love you. And she begins to find hope in the midst of her frustration. In fact, I love this in the book of John. What is her reaction? Here's this woman who's trying to avoid everybody. And what is what happens in verse 28? It says this, the woman left her water jar beside the well. She was so excited, she put down her water jar. And it says she ran back into the village. The very people she was trying to avoid, she ran back into the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to come see him. The God who knows everything about me. The God that knows everything about you and loves you and loves me just the same. You see, He's the God that knows everything, who knows what we feel, who knows our hopes, our joys, our dreams, as well as our failures and everything that we feel like we have to overcome in our past. He knows it all. And he's the God who wants to intervene right in the middle of the mess. Listen, Jesus walked right in the middle of Samaria. He walked right in the middle of the mess and the frustration. He walked in the middle of this lady's life, her frustration, her shame, her distrust, her compromise, right in the middle of it and said, I'm going to offer you something that is going to give you a new life and a new start, a fresh drink of water that makes you never be thirsty again. Trust in him. Trust in the one 
who will never let you down. Because here's the truth. The truth is, is this. You will not find lasting peace and healing outside of the person of Jesus. I love what C.S. Lewis wrote. He said this, God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Jesus is finding us, many of us, in the middle of our frustration today, in the middle of our disappointment, in the middle of circumstances that maybe we've created and maybe have been created by others. But he finds us right in the middle. And you know what? Jesus is for the frustrated. He's for you. And as we close, I'm going to ask you, do you want Jesus to come into the middle of your mess, in the middle of your frustration, and to help give you something that you've been searching for for a really long time? Living water. Something that refreshes you from the inside out. Something that makes you never thirst again. Because he's the only one that can provide it. So if you've never made Jesus the leader and the forgiver of your life, I want to invite you to do that today. Right now, in the auditorium, online, wherever you're at, you may be in an auditorium of City First. You may be watching in your living room. Do you want to make Jesus the leader of your life, the forgiver of your life? Do you want him to erase your sin record and to give you living water that is refreshing to your soul? If that's you, I'd invite you to just take a moment right now and every head bowed and every eye closed and to pray this prayer after me. You're not praying it to me, you're praying it to Jesus, the one who loves you, the one who comes in the middle of the frustration and wants to bring you real life. So repeat this prayer after me, will you? Dear Jesus, I need you. I need living water. Forgive me of all of my sin and all I've done wrong. I give you this broken life and I ask that you would give me forgiveness and hope. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, that was the most important life-changing prayer you've ever prayed in your entire life. And if you have prayed that prayer before, but you find yourself in the middle of a frustrating moment, I want you to realize that the God who saved you before is wanting to rescue you again. He wants to be invited into the middle of your frustration. Reach out to him. You don't have it all together. Quit trying to carry this life on your own shoulders, but rather, like that woman, admit that you need help. Trust Jesus. He is for the frustrated. He loves you and he cares about you. And he wants to bring you a refreshment in the middle of this frustrating season. So if that is you, today reach out to him. This week reach out to him. Every single day say, God, I need your living water today. Bring your supernatural refreshment. Thank you so much, City First, for joining us today. And stay tuned because the person coming up after me is going to talk to you about the next step for those of you that have prayed that first prayer. 
I want you to be a part of City First and for your spirituality to thrive, your relationship with God to thrive, and they're gonna tell you how to do it. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.